0: Hello, kiddies. So, you want access to the Wicked Archives, do you? Well, it takes money to keep the lights on and keep our beasties fed. Trust me, you don't want them hungry. They might just start eating the writers and then where would we be? Visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash wickedlibrary and pledge your support to the show. For $2 a month, I'll give you a key to our collection of classic episodes. For $5 a month, I'll let you hear the bonus stories before the rest of our listeners. Even more tantalizing rewards await for those who want to sacrifice more to us. (laughs) Over 70 classic episodes are lurking deep in the private area of the library, just waiting to be heard by you. Led yourself to the library today, and you'll be ours forever. You're going to like it here, I think. (laughs) How much is it for people to enjoy the private area of the librarian, Dan? Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice.
1: Welcome to episode number 727 of the Wicked Library. I'm Daniel Foytek, and as always, before we get started today, a big thank you to our new Patreon supporters. Since our last episode of the show, we had three new supporters, Scott Lambert, Jeremy Martin, and Dom Colucci. Thank you so much for your support of the show, and to all of those who continue to support the show on Patreon, thank you again. We couldn't make the show without your support. If you'd like to support the show on Patreon, you can do that for as little as $2 a month and up from there you get really cool rewards and also the satisfaction of knowing that you are a part of making the show happen. If you enjoy the interviews at the end of the show, check out the Ninth Story Podcast with Jeanette Andromeda and Immortal Alexander for more interviews and discussions with storytellers of all types. And of course, don't forget to check out our other popular horror-themed podcast, The Lift. At victoriaslift.com. We're going to start up with some new episodes over there on October 1st and run through the end of the year. And of course, as you know, the Wicked Library, we will be running all the way through the end of October, culminating with our Halloween special, and then we'll be taking a little break unless you're a Patreon supporter, in which case you will continue to get some extra stories while we're on break. So, without further ado, Today's episode of the Wicked Library is told by our good friend over at Small Town Horror and creepy, John Grills. John gets a little help from our good friend Nicole Goodnight, whom you've heard here on this show before, and of course on the No Sleep Podcast. And today's episode is scored by our good friend Nico of We Talk of Dreams. Today's author Mark Slade makes his Wicked Library debut with his tale Rare Air. Well, here we are again.
0: The warning at the beginning of the show. I'm getting a little tired of having to warn you people. I mean, the name of the show is The Wicked Library, for God's sakes. It's not The Sweet Pickles Library. Listener discretion is advised. If you're scared easily, good. (laughs) Seriously, though, bugger off if you can't take scary stuff. Very scary (laughs) here. Hello, kiddies. Have a seat and relax. I am your librarian. There's nothing to be afraid of. Yet. Hold on to yourselves, boils and ghouls. This is going to be a dark ride. We'll leave the lights on for now. No talking. It's story time. At the Wicked Library. <laughs>
2: Rare Air by Mark Slade It was Bernstein that introduced Meg to Howard King. Not only was Meg annoyed by the many stories Bernstein was telling about his mother's youth, as old as Lou Bernstein was, he'd think his mother would already be dead, but there was a very loud, obnoxious man screaming at the top of his lungs to punctuate his pornographic story about a recently widowed woman he had betted.
3: Lou, darling... Who is that loud man over there?
2: Meg said over the top of her martini glass. Bernstein turned quickly. He saw a short bald man with oversized framed glasses and a checkered blazer sitting at a table full of other successful men laughing at his dirty jokes. Bernstein readjusted himself in his seat, took a sip of his white wine. Oh, that's just Howard king, he said nonchalantly. Bernstein returned to his salad made specifically for him with walnuts and asparagus with a honey mustard dressing. Anyway, can you believe this woman next door had the nerve to ask me if mother was a hundred years old? Some people. Bernstein scoffed and shook his head. Bernstein was an old friend of Meg's when she had met at her husband Denny's club before he died, and she inherited his fortune, his companies, and, of course, his tax problems. But Meg was a smart woman, she understood business, it was in her genes, passed down from her father, so she knew how to keep companies that had been floundering, survivable money makers. After all, Denny was her fifth husband, his company, her seventh, that she pulled out of the ashes. Earlier she'd been in an argument with Connie Severson over a rumor Connie had started about Denny and his secretary. Oh, that Connie was such a burn, Meg sighed. Of course, Meg was able to have Connie banned from the club after her little tirade last spring that resulted in several club glasses and dishes thrown at Meg. She was an old enemy from the days when Meg was with her second husband, and Connie was married to that television evangelist. The years had not softened their hatred for one another. Meg waited patiently for more information, until she couldn't take it any longer. Well... Bernstein looked up at her, incredulously, with honey mustard plastered all over his top lip. "'Well, what?'
3: "'Dear, wipe your mouth,'
2: Meg pointed to her own lips.
3: "'Tell me about Howard King.'
2: Bernstein used the corner of his napkin, dabbed his lips, missing most of the dressing that dripped to his chin. "'There's not much to tell, Meg,' Bernstein chuckled. Denny hasn't been in his coffin more than six months.'
3: Oh, shut up.
2: Meg <laughs> laughed and waved her hand.
3: You are awful. What does he do?
2: Mostly drinks and brags about himself.
3: What does he do for a living?
2: Meg. Okay. He's into rare commodities.
3: As in what? I'm afraid I don't follow you, Lou.
2: Whenever he's asked what line of work, he says that and produces a card. It just says that as well. Bernstein took an ivory card made of thick paper stock and handed it to her. Sure enough, it said just that, along with a cell number and a website. Really, Meg, I can't believe you are interested in him. Bernstein jabbed his thumb over his shoulder in the direction of Howard King. Meg turned the card over in her hand a few times.
3: I'm not interested. He just seems... interesting, is all. Obviously, everyone likes him.
2: What? Are we in high school or something? I think you should lay low for a while, Meg. Give your poor heart a rest. and Denny's memory, a bit of a thought.
3: Yes. Perhaps, Lou. Perhaps you are right.
2: She watched Howard rise from his chair, drain his glass, and loudly announce that he had to drain the lizard. Howard King drunkenly ambled toward Bernstein and Meg, and when he nearly fell into Bernstein's salad, he decided to sit next to them. He was completely white, as white as a tablecloth on all the tables in the club. A dead rose was pushed into the buttonhole in his very brightly colored blazer, which drooped into the pocket. Looks like I'm not finishing my salad, Bernstein said in a huff and threw his napkin in the plate. Howard leaned into Meg and said, He gets frustrated when he's not winning, doesn't he? This tickled Meg. She covered her mouth to stifle a laugh. Howard sighed, looked around. It gets harder and harder to find a place to piss in this joint. He swayed in his chair. You have the mind of a poet, Howard. Bernstein rolled his eyes. And don't I know it? Howard guffawed as he jerked his knee and kicked the table, nearly turning over the wine glasses. After he settled down, he leaned into Meg again. Hey toots, if you point me in the right direction of the toilet, I'll let you hold it. Meg was so shocked by Howard's comment her cheeks turned bright red. She was flabbergasted. Bernstein whispered in Howard's ear and pointed to his left where two ivory doors clearly marked men and women. Howard thanked Bernstein, showed Meg a toothy grin. I'll catch you later toots. Anyone ever tell you you got sexy ears? Yeah. Sexy. Howard headed to the bathrooms, mumbling to himself what he would do with Meg's earlobes.
3: My god, Lou, is he like this when he's sober?
2: Meg fanned herself with a hand. Bernstein thought a few seconds. I don't know, he said. I've never seen him sober. Bernstein was late. He was supposed to be at the club at 3.30. Meg looked at her watch. She'd been waiting for him an hour and ten minutes. Three rum and cokes and a cob salad ago. Meg was furious. Meg lit another cigarette. Now her day truly was ruined. Well, hello, Tuts. Meg heard a voice from behind her. She turned and saw Howard King. Oh, Meg forced a smile. She took a puff of her cigarette.
3: Hello, Mr. King.
2: She clicked ashes into the ashtray. It's Howard, toots. He sat down without being asked. I didn't catch the name. No. Meg's upper lip curled slightly. You didn't. Howard laughed, smacked the tabletop with his hand. That was funny. I like a woman with piss and vinegar.
3: That sounds quite disgusting, Mr. King.
2: Meg had a stern look in her hazel eyes. She knew her day would not go right this morning when she noticed her jar of wrinkle cream was empty. She let Dorothy have it. What kind of maid doesn't buy refills of wrinkle cream? At Meg's age, it was extremely vital, and at 61, it was getting harder to find available men that were rich enough and successful enough to care for her.
3: Mr. King,
2: Meg leaned in slightly.
3: I'm sorry to say this, but I would really like to be alone. I don't feel like company right now.
2: Howard shrugged. Yeah, yeah, I get it. That poof Bernstein didn't show and you're a little burned right now. I get it. Maybe I can lighten the mood. Howard's hand just happened to find its way to caress Meg's knee, and it just happened to rub ever so slightly up and down. Meg smiled. She nodded. I see, she said, took another drag of her cigarette. Meg brought her cigarette down underneath the table and stabbed the lit end into Howard's hand. He withdrew it quickly and howled. He blew on his shaking hand. All eyes were on him now.
3: "'I'm so sorry, Mr. King. My hand slipped.'
2: "'Howard smiled a toothy smile, laughed. "'No problem. So did mine.
3: "'If you will excuse me, I have somewhere to be.'
2: "'Yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, hey, toots. "'I'd like to see you again.' "'Meg stood, pushed her chair in. "'She picked up her bag, then handed Howard her cigarette.
3: "'I'm here every day, Mr. King.' Perhaps you can catch me. Perhaps,
2: Howard said and placed a cigarette between his chapped lips. Perhaps, Toots. Meg and Bernstein were leaving a show in the village when they saw Howard King leaving an apartment building. Well, Bernstein said, look who it is. Meg tapped the back window of her limo and the driver rolled it down just enough to hear her.
3: Turn around, William, and drive past the apartment building on Hamblin Ave. But drive slowly, please. My
2: God, Bernstein scoffed. What are you doing? Nothing, Meg answered in a raspy voice she used when she was frustrated.
3: I'm just curious.
2: Meg, dear. You are simply obsessed with this man.
3: I'll oh, shut up, Lou.
2: upper lip curled slightly.
3: You are so critical for a man. I think you're a woman trapped in a man's body.
2: If you aren't obsessed with Howard King, then why do you keep telling that story of when he molested you at the club?
3: That's not obsession, Lou. It's simply a damned good story.
2: The limo eased by at the pace of a turtle. There was Howard King, drunkenly trying to fit his key into his Volvo, missing the keyhole, dropping the keys, recovering them, and starting the whole process over again until a middle aged woman in a robe trotted down the small flight of stairs. Her hair was in disarray and her makeup looked as though she'd been jogging 100 degree weather. The woman bent down, snatched the keys from Howard, and took hold of his tie. She led him back up the small flight of stairs and back into the apartment building. Meg was dumbfounded. That
3: was Connie Severson,
2: she announced. She blinked a few times before a sour look crossed her face. Go back around, ma'am, the driver asked.
3: No, William. (sighs) Take me home so I can drown in a bathtub of vodka.
2: The night hadn't yet ended for her. She was still on her sofa where she'd passed out. She dismissed her servant girl hours ago after a tirade over an empty bottle of scotch was broken. The servant girl said her goodnight and retired to her bedroom. The rapping was loud and echoed in her ringing ears. Groggily, Meg rose slowly, nearly falling down. She dragged herself to the door and opened it angrily. Meg found Howard King standing in the hallway, a silly grin on his face and a bottle of wine in his hands. You called for Dr. Lovetutz, he said, pushing his way inside.
3: I didn't call anyone,
2: Meg said, slightly confused.
3: Why are you here? And, and you just think you can barge in here?
2: Oh, you called me. He laughed, tapping the side of his forehead. Using this. Saying you need love and a party. Oh, I see you already started without me. I hope you didn't finish. He kicked two wine bottles out of his way, sat on the couch heavily.
3: If you don't leave... I will be forced to call the police.
2: Meg whispered in a humble voice. Her confidence was breaking down. You won't do that, toots. You like me too much.
3: Mr. King.
2: No. He stood, took two quick steps toward Meg. He pulled her in his embrace and dipped her. Meg gave out a slight whimper. Mm. Call me Howard. He leaned in close and pressed his lips to hers. Bernstein shook his head and clucked his tongue, rifled the newspaper from page to page. He let out a gasp, then shook his head. Meg sat across from him at a corner table at the club's restaurant. She was dressed in her green sequin dress with a very revealing neckline and even more revealing slit at the knees. She wore a long feather boa that draped from her neck and laid around her shoulders. Meg was looking to get attention, most notably from Bernstein. But he kept his nose buried in that newspaper, not paying her any mind. Meg tore the newspaper from Bernstein's hands.
3: That's quite enough from you, mister.
2: She balled it up in a ball and tossed it over her shoulders. Bernstein's eyes widened. His hands shook as he fumbled his words. What do you think you're doing? I've been
3: sitting here for ten minutes, and not once- I was
2: reading that. It's important to our circle. And you have not commented on my dress. It's ridiculous. Bernstein turned away from her. Oh Meg faked tears.
3: How can you say that? It hurts me so.
2: Immediately, Bernstein felt terrible that he had said such an awful thing to the one friend he's so close to. Even closer than his poor aging mother. He reached and took her hand in his. Bernstein smiled. I'm so sorry, Meg. He rubbed her hand gently. I shouldn't have said that. Oh, Lou. Meg bit her lower lip.
3: What has come over us? The past two weeks have been so strained. I'm sorry, too.
2: Bernstein removed his hand from Meg's. He looked away.
3: Your dear mother. Lou, what is the matter?
2: I know that I've been behaving badly, he said. Meg, darling. You are the best friend I have ever had, apart from mother.
3: Oh, I know that.
2: Meg patted Bernstein's (laughs) hand and laughed.
3: Your dear mother.
2: Meg took a cigarette out and tapped it on the table to pack the tobacco in tighter.
3: How is she? Have you seen her today?
2: Of course. Bernstein scoffed.
3: I know she had been sick for quite a while. I thought, well, maybe she took a turn for the worst is why you've been acting... "'Strange,'
2: Bernstein's face twisted up like he'd just eaten something sour. "'The way I've been acting... "'No, Meg. Four times you have called off our dinner dates in the last two weeks, "'showing up late here at the club. "'Frankly, you've been obsessing again. "'Over Howard King.' "'Meg was shocked. he had went too far now.
3: "'How dare you? "'You should be happy for me. "'I have finally found a soulmate.'
2: Meg, darling, I would be if it was anyone else. I have something to tell you about our Mr. Howard King. It affects our group of friends.
3: Oh, Pshaw. You are my only friend. Not those old fools.
2: In any case, it affects us. I was just reading in the papers. An odd connection between Howard King and the women he's been seeing this past year. Five elderly women this year have passed away mysteriously. Five years ago, it was six other elderly women. Their families are calling for an investigation.
3: How did they die?
2: Meg was now slightly concerned. She guarded her neck as if some imaginary hands were around them. They have died mysteriously, but the coroner's report said it was natural causes. Meg's hand relaxed moved to her knee.
3: Oh, Had they signed over their fortunes to him?
2: Bernstein sighed, his face flushed with embarrassment. No, they have not. He thought a second. I guess I'm being silly. Really, what concerns me was the death of Connie Severson. We just saw her two weeks ago. Very upsetting. Meg, are you all right? Meg was not all right. She was taken aback by this news even saddened that her old rival was gone from this planet. She swallowed hard, fought back a few tears. She forced a smile.
3: Yes. Yes, of course, I'm all right.
2: Hort sat on the side of Meg's canopy bed, grabbed his trousers. She massaged his hairy back with her foot, hoping to coax him back into her arms and make love one more time.
3: Where are you going, Mr. King?
2: She cooed. I got another appointment, toots, Howard said. Meg sat up and threw her arms around Howard.
3: You never explained what line of work you're in.
2: She kissed his neck and his ears. Nothing really to explain. I'm into selling rare and exotic goods.
3: Such as?
2: Meg prodded Howard. That was one thing Meg was good at, was getting to the bottom of something if she was curious enough. Howard turned around, smiled at her. Rare Air, he said, removed her arms from his neck. Meg was perplexed.
3: What the hell does that mean?
2: You want to know? Yes. Meg replied. By now she was getting more than a little annoyed. He was being cryptic and she didn't like for people to be cryptic. You really want to know?
3: Yes, damn it.
2: Already, used Meg on her back, made sure the pillow was comfy under her head. She laughed.
3: (laughs) Mm-hmm. Oh, Howard, what are you doing?
2: He placed a finger over lips. Shh, he whispered. (laughs) No talking during the demonstration. (laughs) Meg stifled a laugh. He then parted her lips with his forefinger and thumb. He bent down. Meg closed her eyes, ready to receive a kiss. Instead, she felt a horrible pain in her lungs. (laughs) Her body began to tremble. She reopened her eyes and saw the color of Howard's eyes were no longer brown, but the color of brimstone. She saw mist drift from her lips and into a long uh, vial. Meg's uh, uh, arms floundered uh, as she struggled to catch her breath. Uh, Howard King took the vial from the inside pocket of his red and green checkered blazer. Smiling, he looked at it and shrugged. Not bad, he said. He handed the vial to Bernstein. Bernstein adjusted himself in his chair. He grasped the vial carefully inside. Really, Bernstein said. We are going to have to find a new set of friends, Mr. King. Howard nodded and laughed. I think I'll have lunch at the club this afternoon. Care to join me? Bernstein popped the top off the vial and leaned into the bed where the frail, skeletal, naked body of his mother lay. He forced open her sunken in-lips and allowed the mist to flow in between her bone-white, chalky lips. Her black eyes fluttered and a limp hand shook slightly. I can't, Bernstein said. I have to stay and take care of Mother.
0: Oh, it's not that easy to leave the Wicked Library. There's still an interview with the author. But first, this.
4: Now available from K.B. Goddard, the author of the Lyft episode, The Lost Library, and the Wicked Library episodes, The Darkness Within and Shadows, comes her debut novella, The Girl with the Roses. At the haunted auctions of Thornhill and Swift, where artifacts of the ghostly and the macabre are bought and sold, we learn of the statue entitled The Girl with the Roses. Charlotte Salt has always dreamt of marrying for love, but when she receives a proposal, she realizes that romance isn't always the deciding factor in the Victorian marriage market. Married to the eligible but secretive George Avery, she finds herself cut off from her family and friends when her husband takes her to live in his isolated Derbyshire home. Trapped in a loveless marriage, she finds her thoughts turning towards her brother's newly returned friend, the handsome Charles Jameson. In failing health and increasingly troubled by strange sights and sounds, she cannot help recalling Jameson's mysterious warning, Be on your guard. What danger did he foresee? As dark forces surround her, she contemplates the fate of her predecessor, What happened to the first Mrs. Avery? In a summer of storms, can anyone save her from the shadows? The Girl with the Roses is now available for pre-order on Amazon and Kobo.
2: Hey there! Do you like legends, myths, and whiskey? Or maybe just one of those things? Then you should listen to the Legends, Myths, and Whiskey podcast. For more information, head over to legendsmythsandwhiskey.com.
5: Welcome to the Post Show Interview. I'm Jeanette Andromeda from the Ninth Story Podcast, and with me today, sitting precariously on a stack of books above the Gator Pit, is our author, Mark Slade.
6: How are you doing, Mark? I'm good. How are you?
5: I'm doing great. I'm excited to talk to you. It was like, I hit about 11 o'clock and I was just like, I can't wait to, to I just, I couldn't do anything useful. I was just waiting for this conversation. <laughs>
6: <laughs> well, I, I saw where you, all, you were on Facebook, but I didn't, uh, I didn't message you quick enough or you know, I, I just happened to notice somebody was sending me something else. And, uh, you know, you know how that is.
5: Oh, I know exactly. Especially if you're on like multiple sites and all of a sudden there's too many notifications. True. Yay.
6: <laughs>
5: <laughs> so, Mark, welcome to the Wicked Library. Thank you. This is your first episode on the Wicked Library, correct?
6: Yes, it is. Yes, it welcome
5: is. Welcome to our stacks. <laughs> <laughs>
6: a great show. I, I enjoy it a lot.
5: Thank you. I'm glad to hear that. Um, so, with this story, which was I'm going to look at my there we go, <laughs> <laughs> my notes um, Rare Air uh, did you write this story initially knowing it would be performed as an audio drama, as a podcast or has this story started oh, no. as just a story?
6: Oh, it was definitely just a short story and I couldn't sell it. I couldn't get give it away to be honest. Nobody liked it. And I wonder if it just because it had older characters, hmm. you know what I mean? Because they're, they're supposed to be in their uh, mid-50s to 60s, especially the main character. Yeah. She's supposed to be in their 60s. Uh, and, and maybe maybe because they're just terrible people, that could have <laughs> something to do with it. But that's what I write about, usually, or people that are not very nice. Um, and Weird Book took it, which I was surprised. I, I had even forgotten that I sent it to Weird Book you know nice um, yeah yeah oh you know what was it like six months later and I got an email and I was like hey I don't know this person <laughs> <laughs> so but yeah it was real nice He, he he's a very good editor and um, you know unfortunately I haven't been able to sell anything else to him but you know
5: it's a start just, apparently I, you just need to write about really grumpy older people and he loves it
6: <laughs> that could be it but uh, I don't know it, it was just one of those stories, I think I was just on a kick about, um, I mean, I'm always trying to mix crime drama with uh, with horror. So, mm-hmm. you know, a l- little bit of, uh, say, Ed McBain with uh, Clive Barker type of stuff and yeah. <laughs> see what happens, you know, or the old Twilight Zone stories.
5: Those are all absolutely fantastic things to draw from, especially Clive Barker, I Oh my goodness! I started with his movies, and now I'm moving further and further into his written work.
6: <laughs> well, the um, books of blood always is the best place to start with him, definitely.
5: Definitely, that,
6: that's like his masterpiece. I think.
5: I like how with this story, you you kind of played on the Black Widow and the Bluebeard thing, and the <laughs> twist at the end genuinely surprised me because I just thought it was going to be this like life or death thing between the two bloodsuckers
6: right right
5: because that woman from the get-go i did not trust her
6: (laughs) (laughs) well i I don't think there's anybody in that story that you could trust you know um i kind of thought i gave it away with the first uh part of the first conversation (laughs) so (laughs) i'm trying not to say too much more but yeah i thought i gave it away to be honest
5: you know, and actually, I think you planted a really great false lead in that first conversation because uh, the woman, Meg? Yeah, like yeah. Meg. Um, she talks about how it's husband number whatever, company number seven. And it's like, oh, no, she's, she's sinking her claws into someone else. But yeah. And, and it was the perfect red herring because all of a sudden... At the end, it's the person that I did not expect to be the evil mastermind was the evil mastermind.
6: <laughs> Which is really, you know, that that's what i always set out is to dis- distract somebody from it. Not, not always uh, perfect in the way I uh, design it, but, you know, it, it, it's, it fell into bright pieces, fell into place, you know.
5: So did this story uh, just kind of naturally flow out of you? Or did you really have to work on this one?
6: No, I I, tr- I try not to really work on them as much. I mean, of course, everybody does. But I'm mm-hmm. just saying, uh, I think I already knew what was going to happen. Um, it was just getting there mm-hmm. was the par- hard part, you know, uh, trying to put the right words together and things like that. And Making it more conversational. As a matter of fact, I, I'd sent it to a couple of friends, and I don't normally do this. And I had one friend who told me I had to cut more than half of it. Wow. And I was like, Really? You, you think that? And he, he said, Yes, because you know, you got too much there. And I was like, Okay. And I tried that, and it I didn't like the way it read. Hmm. So I just deleted that. And, um, just kept my first part, I mean, my my first edit, and sent it out. And Weirdbook liked it the way it was.
5: Awesome. And so did we, so I guess it worked <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah,
6: yeah, yeah. I, I, I know, I, I think um, how I discovered the Wicked Library was just through several tweets from different people. But I think it was connected to the lift.
5: Nice. <laughs> the other
6: show, yeah. yeah. And I, I I read the submissions and just sent like four or five stories just to see if anything would stick.
5: So out of those, I'm curious what your other three stories were about.
6: Uh, well, the one I really wanted to be read um, was the one about... Uh, shoot, I'm trying to remember. Well, it, it's about a, uh, a faith healer and... As he always battled this one guy or two guys who always outed him no matter what he did as the con you know because he's not a real faith healer Mm -hmm. but he 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 has this one thing that is truly will heal people and uh, I was kind of hoping that would get read but you know that's okay I mean rare error is fine too you know
5: I think um, I I didn't have a chance to... I'm not one of the slush pile readers or beta readers or whatever we call them. Assistant librarians. That's what we call them here on the library. (laughs) Right. Um, But I have a feeling part of why this story was picked was because of characters that are different. Because you... That's what really stuck out to me in this story was you had this cast of unlikable characters doing nefarious things to each other. And... I also kind of liked that it was kind of this commentary. I don't know if you intended it this way, but on <laughs> on the upper echelon,
6: <laughs> yeah, and the corporate world. I mean, yeah. we need them. Let's let's face it. I mean, Definitely. that is true. We need them, but you don't need the activities mm-hmm. that they engage in. You know, uh, which is stealing other people's ideas, stealing other people's businesses. You know especially illegally um you know uh, keeping the poor down instead of helping the poor but yeah i i don't know i guess i kind of i've always been a big fan of like alfred hitchcock presents and mm-hmm. he on that show they always had horrible people you know <laughs> and they didn't always get their comeuppance mm-hmm. you know which I, I kind of think that tales from the crypt—they sort of did get their comeuppance, always.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, yeah,
6: yeah, but you know.
5: When you're editing, not necessarily just this story, but any of your stories, what do you what do you do once you get through that first draft? What's something that you start to really pick apart when you go into the second draft?
6: I, I'm gonna be honest with you. I I don't even, and this is probably my problem of selling. I I don't always do re-edits. I I just go with the first draft. You know, Um, I mean, I'll correct like my misspellings Mm -hmm. and you know go through with that, but I don't always go back and change things. Um, I don't know. I don't know why. It's. I guess it's laziness <laughs> unless somebody sends me an email say, hey, can you, you know, go through this and make mm-hmm. some changes and, you know, depending on, you know, whether it's, uh, worth the sale. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it's always worth having your name out there, but, uh, yeah, I don't always change things. Uh,
5: so what's one of your stories that, that really did require more editing for it to finally come out the way you wanted it to
6: oh my gosh uh man it's (laughs) been a while uh well i I can't really think of them i mean there there was a couple of them i mean i remember when i had there was a book ugly babies Mm -hmm. and uh the editor she liked the the story but i I think it was just um i think she wanted some parts moved around or something Like, uh, I guess she wanted the ending sort of at the beginning Mm -hmm. and then repeated or something to that effect. Uh, And and I did go through that. And then we went through a handful of changes on that. Uh, Oh, man. Like I said, though, it's it's been a while. uh,
5: That's pretty fair.
6: that, That I could remember. But I mean, yeah, there are there are a lot of lot of the editors will ask you to change some stuff around, and mm-hmm. I think that's fine because it's their work too.
5: Mm-hmm. Now I'm now I'm kind of curious. How do you approach your first draft? Then, if you usually by the end of that first draft feel pretty confident with it,
6: um, I start. I try to get it with the very first sentence, and you know to to try to get it to where it's character related, you know, instead of describing like the weather or the room that they're in, I try not to, I try to start with the character, then maybe describing where they're at, the -hmm. setting and things like that and, and, and conversation, you know, like dialogue is a real big thing with me sometimes. And, and, and a lot of times I'll get, you know, editors will say back, hey, you know, some of this is kind of clunky. That's because I was trying to get to the next thing. Gotcha. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah.
5: So that's where you just kind of jump through the next. I totally understand that. Sometimes you're like, I don't know how to transition, blup, next. <laughs> it,
6: yeah, <laughs> I yeah. I And the same and, thing. <laughs> and, 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 you know, putting like the little stars... So you can jump to the next scene, you know, or, or you just have like somebody just to come in through the door and switch everything around. Maybe even, you know, sometimes it's, it's a good thing to write. Even if you've just written a couple sentences to just leave it alone and maybe come back to it later that day, or maybe just go to the next day, you know, because by that time, if you've, I've noticed, I mean, it works with me. It doesn't work with everybody is that if I just get them starting to talk then I know where they're going after that I, I can I could kind of visualize the next horrible sequence or <laughs> or you know the lie maybe a lie can change things um you know things like that
5: so are there any things that you do to get deeper into your characters because it does seem like your stories seem very character driven
6: um, It depends. I might draw on influences. Maybe I need to go and reread something or or find a writer that I think is similar to that story. Maybe it's a movie, you know, maybe it's a TV series that I'll go back and watch. That'll help with, you know, getting those characterizations. You know, I'm not saying that I'm stealing from people, but it's like, you know, it'll help with developing you know, the story or the characters. Maybe even read uh, a newspaper article, Mm -hmm. you know.
5: So another question I have for you is, do you find it easier or more difficult to write for characters that are the opposite gender of you?
6: Uh, To be honest, it's not that hard. Okay. I I, I don't see it that way. I, I see where okay so the character may be a female but that doesn't mean that she's not almost like the a male character i've I've written you know it's not that difficult i mean we're all pretty much the same in a lot of ways yeah you know maybe the feelings are slightly different you know what i mean i i I mean see uh i have a daughter and a wife so i can draw on some of that Mm -hmm. but it, it, it's not always like that. I, I just kind of think of the character if it's going to fit the story, you know, and um, that that's just where I go with it. I, I try not to differentiate too much.
5: I like that. And I could definitely see that in the story because the woman was just as vicious <laughs> as the Yeah, men. <laughs> and,
6: and, you know... You know, she's just as sexual as a man. I mean, she had a sexual appetite as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it was an article I'd read about, you know, when they're talking about people who had been through, or women who had been through the change of life, that possibly, you know, the next uh, period of their life, uh, I mean, it could be a year or a couple of years, that they have a a raging sexual appetite. I don't know how true that is. I really don't. I was just going by that article, so I just incorporated that, you know.
5: I think that's interesting. I'd be curious to. You
6: know, Not that I've ever went things. through the change of life. But <laughs> maybe I'm going through it now. I mean, I don't. I have no idea on that. <laughs> Not as scientific. That's why I don't write science fiction as much. And if I do, it's going to be Ray Bradbury type, <laughs> so I can make it up myself. <laughs>
5: So do you tend to stick to horror or do you write in other genres as well?
6: Um, you know, I, I tend to stick with horror and crime, mm-hmm. you know, uh, fantasy a little bit. Um, uh, it, it, depends, you know, horrified books or rogue planet books. They'll, they, that I usually will publish with, they have a lot of anthologies where they do like, uh, lovecraft type stuff, but I, I'm not a huge lovecraft. Um, uh, I try to write Robert E. Howard, who wrote Conan. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to mimic his style if I'm gonna do any of those. And uh, but normally I do stick with horror. You know, my my horror is not always uh, you know the, the type that's it, real bloody or gory. I, I'm a huge fan of uh, Richard Matheson and Ray Bradbury and those types of guys. You know, Twilight Zone type of horror. You know, where 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 the the ending is the shock. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not it's not always people ripping skins off each other and having sex and that kind of thing.
5: <laughs> what was one or two stories that really really made you want to write?
6: You know, it might not have necessarily been. Well, okay, probably the very first one was Ray Bradbury's The October Game. Mm-hmm. That 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 may be one of try by hand Um, I also used to read the Twilight Zone magazine when I was a teenager and there would be some stories in there that I didn't quite understand why they were published (laughs) 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 and and, and, you know I guess that's being arrogant but you know from what I understand is a lot of people will read something and go I could do better than that you know actually the, the main thing was it was an Elvira The Elvira TV show, and she was showing probably something that was substandard. I mean, it was even below her standards. It was the worst film, one of the worst films I'd ever seen. And I was just like, holy cow. I mean, did somebody actually get paid to do this? (laughs) So, you know, at 13, I thought I could actually do something like that. It's not as easy as that. It really isn't, you know
5: but it kept you trying. <laughs> it did.
6: It did for a really long time. And then I guess, you know, when I got married and, you know, had, had a baby, I didn't, I didn't try as much. Uh, as a matter of fact, I wasn't, I was more big into just writing them and not even sending them off. I just kept them for a really long time. And then I had a friend probably about seven or eight years ago and he was doing it. Um, uh, and we were talking about it, and he said that you know, this online thing, which I had no idea was going on, this resurgence of basically a pulp thing. That's you know, that's what I'd like to call these online magazines, and you know, you know, self-published anthologies. And I just said, well, heck, I'll, I'll give it a go. And I just started fresh. I didn't even try to rewrite or bring out the stories I'd already written, handwritten. I just started brushing and just started that way and just kept on trying. It, it took a while though it, it definitely took about, I don't know two years or so before anybody decided to take anything of mine. So you know and even then that wasn't uh, I wasn't even paid. <laughs> but I didn't care. I was like, oh wow,'m I'm, I'm in print, you know.
5: Do you remember what your first uh, publication was?
6: Oh, oh my gosh. I don't remember the story necessarily. I remember, yeah, I, 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 I'm having a hard time remembering the name of the book, but I, I remember it was Horrified Press. Nice. It was Nathan at Horrified Press. Uh, I think he had just started up, I'm not sure. And he had a whole slew of anthologies that he was looking for stories and I sent it in and it, I think it was barely a thousand words uh, I hadn't even gotten to the point where I could write more than 3,000 words. And he said, Hey, I'd like to publish this. I was like, For real? And he goes, Yeah. I was like, Wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he said, You know, uh, I just I don't pay right away. It's on royalties. And I was like, I'm all right with that. And I did get paid eventually. <laughs> That's he said awesome. yeah he, he sent me you know in my PayPal like 10 bucks and I was like hey this is all right <laughs> I mean it took a year or so for book the book to sell but you know at least he was honest enough to, to pay the writers you know so you know it's kind of been like that off and on you know
5: yeah do you, how many stories are you working on at one time
6: uh I used to be not not right now but uh I'd say about, uh, a year or so. Well, six months ago, I was probably working on like four or five at the same time. It just depended on which one caught my attention, Mm -hmm. you know, and if I can get it to where it was about a thousand words, then that that was the one I was going to keep on going with. And, uh, yeah, it's, but mostly I've been just, um, Mostly I've just been working on like uh, audio dramas, you know, writing scripts for that. And uh, I've, uh, about a year and a half or so off and on, I, I've been editing my own and uh, putting them out there.
5: Yeah, you have Blackout City and Blood Noir over on Potomatic, correct?
6: Yeah, and uh, Blood Noir had just gotten picked up by Para-X uh, online radio. Nice. So they've they run two back-to-back episodes uh, once a month. So they, they just started last month.
5: That's awesome. So how many episodes of Blood Noir are uh, out there? I just started listening to it because you sent it to me. So <laughs> I was enjoying it.
6: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, what happened was is that I used to do another one um, and I stopped doing that one. And when I got back into doing audio dramas, when, when they accepted the proposal of doing uh, Blood Noir once a month, I took those old ones and chopped them up along with new ones. Nice. So in my, you know, Dropbox, I have at least, um, I think it's 12 that I've already got edited along with a couple new ones. And I've already, like I said, I've already started uh, production on uh, about three or four of them. Um, you know, just being lucky, using, uh, my main actors, Pete Lutz, and he has his own shows too. So he's always busy and he's a fantastic actor and he gets me, uh, actors too, basically, uh, going out there and, you know, emailing people and stuff. And then I get the lines, you know, through email or shoot. Sometimes they send it to me through Facebook on through links and, you know, just working on it like that, you know, just trying to learn how to, get a little bit better on uh audio drama which is a tough thing and it i spent probably almost all i I, no, i did spend all night last night working on 11 minutes
5: (laughs) that's not surprising they are not easy to put together (laughs) they
6: are not they are not i swear they're not and sometimes the the you know the lines don't always come through as clear and you have to clean them and things like that and yeah, it's a lot of work.
5: <laughs> Especially with the way you you were doing it with Blood Noir, at least the first episode that I listened to, you had all the sound effects, you had some music going on, you had the voice actors, you had environmental sounds. That is, so. It's, that's painting, but with, with music, with sound. It's just, it's very layered and it was, yeah, not easy, not
0: easy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
6: and, and you don't always achieve... You know, I mean, I'm not to that point where I can just do them right away and it'll sound like that. I, I really have to work on it and, you know, I don't, it's not always like meticulous. I mean, while I'm doing it, I am. But afterwards, if if I get it completed and I listen to it and sometimes it's just like when you do the stories, I'm, I'm just not as like most people have to go back and redo it I can't do that mm-hmm. I have to get it over with you know especially in a, and especially if I'm doing a script usually the scripts just they, they go really quick it's it's all since it's all dialogue and you can just visualize what people are saying and how they're saying it and the sound effects and all that you know but, but you know I'm not trying to say they're they're the greatest thing but at least they're out there you know people can hear
5: and that's step one you know you went from just writing for yourself to sending out some of your stories and now you are producing entire podcasts with your work that's you know getting it out there is important and it i think it does help that momentum emotionally to make you want to keep going when someone says wow that was really cool it's like okay i'll make another (laughs) (laughs) so where can people find more about you and your work mark
6: Uh, well, you know, basically, you know, they, they can find me on uh, Facebook or, uh, my blog, which is, uh, bloody dreadful dot blog spot. Um, you know, and from there they could probably find the links. Uh, my potomatic, like you said, is blackout city, which is on, uh, iTunes. I haven't produced, uh, any blackout cities in about a year. Uh, I do have a, a book of those scripts coming out, A Blackout nice. City, uh, Horrified agreed to do that. And I've got an artist that's uh, Lizanne Lake, who's doing the cover and, and all the paintings and drawings for it. So, you know, which is crime noir, science fiction, you know, set in the past and future. <laughs> it doesn't make much sense when I say it like that, but hopefully when people listen to it, it might. And I've got, uh, you know, I used to do, uh, the Sundowners, which was my horror Western. Um, <clears throat> I got a book of that coming out as well of the scripts.
5: Awesome. Uh, well, we'll make sure to add all of these into the show notes for this episode. So everyone can go and find all of these shows that Mark was just talking about, as well as your website, which I, I do read your website also. I just realized.
6: <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I wanted, I wanted to plug, uh, WPS Wormwood Profit Society which is the newest that just came out and you know for all the other fellows who contributed to you know we're trying to get as much uh, publicity out for that and stuff you know hopefully somebody can uh, purchase that and enjoy those stories
5: Can you tell us a little bit more about that anthology?
6: Uh, yeah it's, um, it's about a secret society Wormwood Profit Society Who has been controlling us and everybody for over 100 years? You know, by you know, worshiping their own god that came down to Earth, and uh, they have formed this uh, society that's uh, controlling government. They control everything that's online. Any anything that you think is uh, the right way of thinking is not the right way of thinking because they've controlled you. (laughs) That's what they're about. It's it's a bunch of short stories that's horror and science fiction related. So
5: So thank you so much, Mark, for joining us.
6: Okay, thank you for having me.
5: If you'd like to hear more of Mark's work, he has a couple podcasts up on podomatic.com. The first is Blackout City and the other is Blood Noir. Both have this wonderful noir bent to them, and I do recommend you go check them out. If you'd like to hear more in-depth interviews with writers of horror, like you just heard, except a little bit longer, you can find them over on my other podcast, The Ninth Story. For all the links we talked about today and even more information, you can find it all on thewickedlibrary.com. So, any ideas how to get off this island of books without becoming gator bait? I'm open to suggestions. <laughs>
1: Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Wicked Library. The Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production. Ninthstory.com Producer Daniel Foytek Executive Producers Cynthia Lohman and Nelson W. Piles If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Wicked Library. You can be a part of helping us keep the shows coming for as little as $2 a month. All supporters get wicked fun rewards like bookmarks, access to our archives, bonus stories, and more. And, of course, ad-free episodes. The more generous you are, the more wicked the rewards are. Season 7 of the Wicked Library is sponsored in part by the Legends, Myths, and Whiskey podcast. You can find them over at legendsmythsandwhiskey.com, and, of course, in iTunes or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Also sponsored in part by Zombie Lips. They make the antidote for the human condition. Get the cure at zombielips.squarespace.com All audio recorded in-house at 9th Story Studios is recorded on Rode Microphones. Find out more information about their great products over at Rode.com. That's R-O-D-E.com. A big thank you to Rode for helping us make the show sound so good. Complete credits and full show notes, including links and information from today's episode, can be found on wickedlibrary.com You can also find links to our Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes page, you know, so you can leave a good review for us, which we might even read on the show. Society 13 Podcast Network.
0: Redefining Podcasts society-13.com I like to listen.